Exodus chapter 30, our portion this afternoon is verses 11 through 16. Let us ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless you. We thank you that you have given us to know you, that you have given us to know you in Jesus Christ, who from the womb to the tree and the resurrection to the throne and the throne to his return is the image of the invisible God, the word made flesh, the one in whom to see him is to see you, Father. And so we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and help us. For there were many who saw the word made flesh, but did not behold glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They beheld a carpenter, they beheld a man, they beheld their ideas of who the man in front of them was. And we pray that you would give us by your Spirit to behold him, the God-man, the only begotten, the eternally begotten, that you would make us by your Spirit to hear him, who addresses us from heaven, who speaks by his voice, not only particular intonations that we one day long to hear coming from glorified lips, but his voice as he addresses us in his word in the scripture and in his word preached, which he attends by his spirit. And so come, Holy Spirit, for you are that spirit who removes the veil from our hearts, who makes the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to shine in the hearts and the face of Jesus Christ. We have not seen him, but you give the blessing to many who have not seen him, that though not yet seeing him, they love him. Oh, we want to listen with love for Jesus Christ and knowledge of him through faith. We want to preach with love for Jesus Christ and knowledge of him through faith. We want to know ourselves counted in the number, not only of your visible church, but even the number of those whom you foreknew, whom you predestined, whom you call, whom you justify, whom you will have glorified, that every one of them would at last be conformed to the image of the Son, and glorious like he is. And so we thank you for the numbering of your people. And we pray that you would give us, when we are numbered on earth, to hope only in him, so that when they are numbered in glory, we would be of that number as well. So help us in the hearing of your word preached to be brought to inherit the unshakable kingdom, that we would have grace now as we worship to worship with reverence and awe, come and be the consuming fire who does not burn us up like chaff, but purifies us from dross. Grant your Spirit's work unto that end, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Exodus 30, verses 11 through 16. These are God's words. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to Yahweh, when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to Yahweh. Everyone included among those who are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering to Yahweh. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to Yahweh to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before Yahweh to make atonement for yourselves. So for the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, there is a danger in considering ourselves our own and forgetting that we have been bought with blood. We've seen that danger already in the redemption price for the firstborn that would point back to the day of the Passover. And you remember the Lord commanding a uh, redemption uh, to to be made, a sacrifice to be made uh, for the firstborn male uh, of every family, something that even uh, Joseph and Mary had to come and do for the Lord Jesus, uh, giving as they did the uh, the poorest of the three, uh, the poorest of the options uh, for that sacrifice. There's a danger of considering ourselves. Uh, our own uh, protectors of trusting in might or trusting in strength instead of trusting in the spirit of the Lord and trusting in chariots or trusting in horses rather than in trusting the Lord himself. There's a danger in considering ourselves to be our own providers as we have heard recently or maybe not that recently, it's been a couple months now uh, in our uh, studying the church's service and material things uh, and the threat that when the Lord brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey and vineyards that they didn't plant and uh, wells that they didn't dig and they were prospered, that they would be forgetful of God and say, my might and the power of my hand uh, has given me this wealth. And how offensive all of these things are. These are the things for which the wrath of God is coming upon the world. For although he has made himself known in the creation, men push down, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and neither glorify him as God or give thanks. Well, if that's the response of God to what we do in pushing down on the knowledge of him and his glory in creation, how much more in redemption the providence of God who who is the one who is our protector, the one who is our provider, the one who has appointed for us, as we heard this morning, good works to walk in and sustains us by his grace for the walking in those good works. And yet the people of God 
we, the people of God, can be forgetful of God even in the course of public worship. He appoints an offering for the service of the tabernacle here that comes by way of an atonement, by way of an offering that is the same for every single Israelite so that their contribution to the funds uh, that are used for procuring the service of the tabernacle is all the same that we will remember that we have been given life by God and we have given, been given redemption by God and everything that we have, not just the money that we gave for the service of the church, uh, but our whole self, uh, our, our whole self in terms of creation and ordinary providence and material things and so forth, and especially our whole self in terms of the grace that would give us to desire uh, to... Uh, uh, to, to participate in and, uh, and be part of how the Lord provides for his worship. This is a great danger that continues today. Uh, I remember in uh, the first call that I had, I actually wasn't ordained to that call because they weren't paying me enough and the presbytery didn't want to set a bad precedent for, uh, for what you pay ordained men. Uh, but I served them in every way that a licentiate was uh, was permitted to do, and I remember as things in the church were reforming uh, and the Lord was blessing his people, there was one couple, uh, he was the lead elder, uh, and uh, she was a fourth generation daughter of the church, uh, and uh, he uh, had taken over his father-in-law's farm, and they were running the thing, and it was horrible, the, you know, they were using the church to launder money, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but I remember something that, that she said one day uh, when, and they were accustomed to having seminary students come for a few months at a time. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, there was something that, uh, that uh, she uh, hadn't liked about the worship and uh, she said something uh, and uh, I explained to her what uh, the active elder, not her husband, uh, uh, had uh, said we would do after having discussed from the Bible and why we were doing it. And she said, oh, well, that's fine, honey. Uh, you know, ministers come and go, but I'm here forever. And uh, she is actually a sweet converted lady. But there's a danger in thinking that our contributions whether it's the, you know, the generations of our family to, to the church or the amount of service that we put in or, or the amount of the church's funding that comes uh, by way of our bank account, uh, that we are somehow the ones who are providing the worship of God or the service of God. It's not just a danger for, for, of forgetting that I am, uh, I am my own. No, our sin is so great that we will actually think, not only am I my own, but, you know, a big part of the church's work is my own, too. A big part of the church's ministry is my own. This is a danger that presents itself especially to elders and ministers who have received anything good that comes from us, comes through us, has come only from God. And why would we be proud as if we had given anything that we didn't receive from him first as 
the, the apostle says to the Corinthians when they're all caught up in which minister? They're, you know, the, the Peter group and the Paul group and the Apollos group and then the really pious ones, the Jesus group, who are also forgetting because they're proud of themselves. And someone who is truly of the Jesus group, which is, of course, the whole church, the Jesus group, would not be proud of themselves. They would not be fractious, would they? And so the Lord gives his people here in these verses a lesson that we still need to remember, that we are the Lord's possession. He is the Lord, our possessor, and that we are under the Lord's protection. It is he who protects his people, and that uh, he is so that he is the Lord, our protector, uh, and that uh, his people are sustained by and his worship is sustained by the Lord's provision, that he is the Lord, our provider. And he ties the half shekel tax uh, to the service of the tabernacle to drive that home by means of the worship that they offer. Uh, well, first, he is the Lord, our possessor. The head count is the Lord's head count. Uh, and uh, that's why I'm, uh, the reason why I'm using that word is because where it says here for their number, uh, it's a word that actually uh, comes from, the, from a root that means the lifting up of the heads, the gathering, uh, you know, you'd have the, the people gathered and then you would muster them, get them in line, have everybody lift their head up so that they're easier to count. It is uh, most often a military term, just like muster. You know, we use the word, well, nobody, we were bad with English. Our vocabularies are so small. Uh, but supposing we hadn't declined so much uh, grammatically or linguistically, we would use the word muster, and we would use it primarily. For, we'd have a primarily military idea about it, wouldn't we? Uh, but we would use it for all sorts of uh, sorts of other things as well. Well, uh, this is a word that means the raising up of the head, and so uh, I'm using the word head count here in the outline and in the sermon uh, to try and convey that idea. Uh, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their head count, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to Yahweh. When you count their heads, uh, that there may be no plague among them, when you take the head count, uh, this is why, this is what everyone among those who are in the head count shall give, half a shekel, uh, and so forth. But it's the Lord's head count. You see, a census is a dangerous thing because it can give the illusion that we belong to the king, or in our case, the government, or uh, the nation, or the church, or even uh, ourselves, whoever it is that tells us. You know, when Caesar Augustus says everyone in Rome has to be a part of a census, uh, then everyone goes to their hometown and they protect. Why? Because he's Caesar. You know, Simon Peter could not declare a census. Uh, and yet there's a danger, isn't there, in thinking that you belong to Caesar. That just because he's the one who, uh, through whom the Lord is giving military stability and uh, the ability to do business, and in fact he's facilitated doing business by stamping his image on coins uh, and, uh, and use, uh, causing those to be used for, uh, for transactions that you belong to Caesar. But the Lord Jesus in his wisdom, doesn't he, when someone says, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they're trying to get him in trouble, either with the you know, Jewish zealots or 
uh, order-loving tax, uh, taxation requiring Romans. He says, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, bring me a coin. He says, whose image is this? It's Caesar's image. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And the, the idea is not that there's some kind of bifurcation there. That a little bit belongs to Caesar and everything, belong, everything else belongs to God. To God. He's saying Caesar himself belongs to God. Caesar was made in God's image. And you're made in God's image too. If God uses Caesar to give you order and economy and the protection of the kingdom, fine. But don't you dare think that Caesar is the one who's protecting you or that Caesar is the one who's providing for you or that you belong to Caesar. You belong to God who made Caesar and you and every other man, woman, and child in his own image. And whatever protection God gives you through Caesar, you get from God. And whatever provision God gives you from Caesar, through Caesar, you get from God. And there's a similar idea here with this text, isn't there? Lest we think we belong to ourselves. You see, censuses are usually taken... Uh, in, in, that t- in that time, it was especially taken for determining what the military strength was. But the military strength of Israel was not 600 and some odd thousand men over 20, which you actually have the number of the census at the beginning of the number, of numbers, and then God's miraculous mercy to this wicked generation whose parents fell in the wilderness at the end of the book of Numbers. It's almost the exact same number. And so they're being fruitful and multiplying even in the desert. But the military strength of the nation of Israel was not 600 some odd thousand. The military strength of the nation of Israel was the holy arm of the living God. The other reason that a census uh, would often be taken would be to find out what the tax assessment could be. Uh, That's uh, the more common one in our day, I think. Uh, now, you know, there's all kinds of crazy woke reasons for taking a census and a lot more than counting heads that takes place and all kinds of nonsense. Wickedness, not just nonsense, both. But the other reason for taking a census is to figure out how much you could raise if you tax them all a half a shekel a head. But the Lord was not trying to figure out if he could raise you know, some 325,000 shekels, shekelim, for the tabernacle service. Because the wealth of the nation of Israel was not found in the number of people and the amount that you could tax them. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. He is not needy of bull meat for sacrifice. And he's not needy of silver in shekels or garaz. A census is a dangerous thing because it can give the illusion that we belong to our nation or our country or our church. There's head counting in churches, isn't there? Oh, how many people is your church up to? Is not the strength of the church the Lord? Oh, we got so many wealthy or gifted people. What's your budget now? Well, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, according to which he supplies all our needs. Uh, our budget's infinity. We just put that on the statistical reports when we send it into synod. 
Uh, number, uh, uh, an innumerable multitude in glory and some other odd physically present ones on earth. Uh, budget, infinity. That's the statistical report of Israel. But there's a danger in finding our assurance, our hope, our safety, whether it's protection uh, or our uh, ability for what we would love to do under the instruction even of the Lord uh, in ourselves as protection or ourselves as provision. But the protection that the Lord gives us uh, is himself. Uh, and the first protection that we need is actually from himself. Did you get that in, in the passage? How he talked about the uh, half shekel not as a tax, but as an offering. And then he stepped it up from an offering to an atonement. Indeed, uh, when we are numbering ourselves and there's that danger, we need atonement, don't we? Israel needed atonement in 2 Samuel 24. Remember, God was angry with Israel. He wasn't angry with David at first. He was angry with Israel. And so he provoked God. And yes, you find out in the Chronicles parallel that uh, God provoked David. And you find out in the Chronicles parallel that God was not the one who tempted David. Satan is the author of evil. He was all too happy to tempt David to take a census. Satan intended for evil and he accomplished evil. God intended good and he accomplished good, just like we've seen so many times in so many places in Scripture. But when he was angry with Israel, and he, what did he do? He provoked David to take a census. And you know it's bad. You know it's bad when Joab becomes the voice of reason and biblical fidelity. And he says, you know, may, may the Lord multiply his people even more, but why are you going to go do something so wicked and stupid as numbering them so that the wrath of God falls upon us? And there are Bible commentators who will read 2 Samuel 24 and they'll get themselves lost in the weeds and say, aha, the reason it was so bad was because they didn't take the, the half-shekel tax. But that's not the atonement that was needed there, was it? The atonement that was needed there was the burnt offering on the threshing floor of Arawuna, which ends up being the, the temple mount of Solomon, which is not entirely identical to the temple location of Herod. and may actually be more close to Calvary. But whether whatever the geography of that hill was is the same hill which incidentally was known in the time of Abraham as Mount Moriah upon which he was going to sacrifice Isaac and his son said where's the ram for the burnt offering where's the lamb for the burnt offering here's the fire here's the knife where's the where's the sacrifice and Abraham says the Lord will provide the sacrifice. In the mountain of Yahweh, it will be provided. And God stops him from slaying his son. And then he looks up and there's a ram in a thicket. 
and there's a burnt offering. The Lord is the provider. That's the point. And the first thing that we need is provision of atonement. We need a blemishless substitute who has like nature to ourselves and like value unto the living God himself, who is as great as the glory of God against which we have sinned. We need God the Son to add to himself a human nature so that still as a divine person, but with a fully human nature, he might pay for our sins, shed his blood, suffer God's wrath. The half shekel didn't atone for Israel. It was given as a token of atonement, wasn't it? But if bulls and goats can't put away sins, Little pieces of silver can't put, away, put them away either. You see, the first one from whom we need protection is the Lord. We need protection from his holiness. We need protection from his wrath. We need protection from what we rightly deserve from God. The census requires a ransom. It may induce a plague, verse 12. It requires an offering, verse 13. Again, the word offering in verse 14. Making atonement, verse 15. The silver is called atonement silver in verse 16. To make atonement for ourselves, end of verse 16. He is the Lord who owns us. He is the Lord who protects us. We have covered that already. He is the Lord who provides for us. We have covered that already. And in the last place, he gives us worship to drive this home. All believers have the same resources for protection and provision, which is to say they have the Lord himself. You know, it's interesting in verse 15 when he says the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. That's the one that the church administrators all are enforcing there. What about the rich? What about a rich guy who, you know, he's like Solomon. Silver is like stones to him in the day. Silver came like stone in the day of Solomon, you remember? Uh, yeah. All those ministers out there praying that a professional Sabbath breaker will join their church uh, so that they can tithe their NFL salary. What if, uh, what if the rich guy wanted to give more than the half shekel? Verse 15 says, absolutely not. You know, let that rich guy be tempted to think that he had a greater part in the tabernacle service than his poor neighbor. Which is why the, the poor man couldn't give less than half a shekel. You're going to require so little of that man that he will think that he had less of a part than his rich neighbor? No, the Lord uh, has given uh, both the rich and the poor the same protection, which is Christ, the same provision, which is Christ. Uh, and in this particular expression that pointed to him, they had to give the same. Let the rich know that their true safety and wealth is the Lord, not their riches. 
so they will not be puffed up or trust in them and put away the covetousness of their stinginess in which because they trust in their money, they want more of it. And let the poor man know that his true safety and wealth is in the Lord so that his poverty will not discourage him or diminish his dignity or lead to anxiety, that he will not fall into what he is taught to pray. Don't give me poverty lest I steal, lest my covetousness uh, lead me into cutting corners and taking what isn't mine. All believers have the same ultimate strength and the same ultimate wealth, the Lord himself. I mean, what does it matter, comparatively speaking, with the difference in our bank accounts? You know, Elon Musk has a pittance compared to the riches of the glory of God that are in Christ Jesus, and that is what you are being supplied by. Yes, it may come through a paycheck, it may come through uh, your freelance work, it may, uh, it may come through whatever other appropriate means instrumental means God is using. But it is coming from the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus who supplies all your needs. And so Tesla stock could multiply by 100 tomorrow. It won't. And you would still outwealth Elon Musk to the point where whatever he has in his bank account is insignificantly higher than whatever you have in yours by comparison. So believers have the same strength and the same wealth. You know, the entire U.S. military cannot defend your life so well as the providence of God will defend your life until the moment you have walked in the last of the good works that have been prepared before you, prepared for you beforehand. It is the hand of the living God. And you've all read um, things like, um, oh, I've lost her name now, the, the Dutch girl, Corrie Ten Boom, uh, and and other accounts, you know, where you know, the man would have the gun to their head, and pull the trigger, and unable to pull the trigger physically. I get all the I get these missionary accounts uh, mixed up. In one case, he's unable to pull the trigger physically. In another case, he pulled and the gun jammed, and he grabbed another gun and he pulled and the gun jammed, and uh, he threw the gun down in disgust and left. Or they pulled the trigger and they send you to glory. And that was when you were going to go to glory and you were honoring the Lord in the way that you died. So they are to give the same amount because they're equally invested and have equal potential in their usefulness to God. He sets it low enough, by the way, that you can find two portions in a fish's mouth because there was going to be another occasion on which they tried to get Jesus over taxes. And this time it was the temple tax. Matthew 11 said, why doesn't your master 
pay the temple tax. Uh, and Jesus gives Peter a theology lesson about how uh, they're children and not slaves. And uh, part of the implication is that um, this was not designed to be a regular tax. It was only in times of census. Um, but he says, in, in order not to give offense, you know, go catch a fish, whatever you find in its mouth, give to them. Well, it happens to be uh, a coin that is worth uh, two drachmas. This is the equivalent of the shekel for this one. The strata, I think it was called. doesn't matter. But you can find the amount for two men in the mouth of one fish. He sets it low enough that the poor man can afford it. Ultimately, all of our giving is subordinate to Christ's having given himself once for all. And what we give is an outworking of Christ's character in us. And what we have comes from Christ's providence over the entire world. You see, the tabernacle could have been abused by their sin, leading them to think that they were the ones providing for God's worship. But the Lord mercifully gives this particular way of funding the ongoing service of the tabernacle to drive home that he himself is the provider. Dear Christian, you are the Lord's. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. And yes, it means things like you may not use your body for filthy things. You have been purchased. But it also means that you have your hope and of safety in him alone. And you have your hope for provision in him alone. And as in his providence you do wise things to keep yourself safe, it's not wrong to do those things, but it is wrong to trust in doing those things. Trust in the God who has given you the ability to protect life. And trust in the God who has provided for you. He has provided for us ultimately in Jesus. And yes, if you were um, if you were a wife or you were a child, you wouldn't be in that twenty years old men and uh, twenty year old men and upward. But the lesson would be the same. You would just be reminded that God had provided you that particular husband or that particular father, and that He who had provided those things for you in an earthly sense was the one who provided for you eternally and spiritually and effectually in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come then and who has come now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for its teaching. We confess before you that the, the issues that you are addressing in your spirit, your people's ongoing sinfulness uh, then are things that we face now. We pray that you'd not permit any of us to be proud um, or to be anxious, uh, but that you would make us to know that you have provided for us all things, that we have been purchased by you, that we are protected by you, and that we are provided for by you. Grant us to live vigorously then uh, in light of the assurance of these things uh, that we may spend and be spent uh, as those who belong to you through Christ. In whose name we ask it, amen.